Bean Shepherd, author, raconteur, and commentator of the contemporary scene. Here's Gene. certainly are concerned about each and every one of you, <laughs> indeed. Uh, as uh, part of our vast public service programming here, uh, we uh, have instituted a thing which I do from time to time here called, um, well, uh, called um, Cuckoo Signs of the Times Night, which incidentally uh, is uh, really done not for the audience, it's done for Posterity. See, uh, we uh, <laughs> we uh, cosmic artists like to uh, make sure that uh, occasionally we say something to the uh, you know posterity. Although you know it's kind of ironical since you are posterity and we are all posterity of previous people. And I don't often hear voices of the past say much to me. So I guess posterity always turns a deaf ear to the antecedents. And uh, you know, so but you always have to take your chance. It's like it's like uh, uh, Stendhal, the uh, French writer. He began one of his books, and uh, he was writing it in 1831. And he said, uh, "You people of 1931 will not believe what it was like in these days." Well, uh, he was right, and uh, because nobody wants to actually look at how it was like in 19 or 1831. We prefer the fictional idea of what it was like, you know, with Cornell Wilde writing with a plumed pen. <laughs> That's much better. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, my my uh, you know my comment to uh, posterity. One of the straws that I see in the wind, of course, is the uh, is the uh, twin uh, communicative gambit of our time. For those of you who are going to be playing this tape in uh, 2076. 
I'd like to point out to you, you won't believe that everybody wrote slogans all over his shirts in our time. And uh, often enigmatic slogans, which the wearer himself or herself did not understand. Uh, the uh, enigmatic uh, slogan. This is our, our. This is the age of the ultimate. You know, slogans. And it's almost. It, it's almost as though uh, uh, 1984. The quick. Who wrote 1984? It was not Jacqueline Suzanne. That's. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. Emerson Dixon wrote it. Uh, <laughs> 1984, and everybody keeps quoting 1984. It wasn't that good a book. It was, you know, an interesting book, but uh, I think that all this Huxley's books on the same subject were better and closer to the mark. Uh, but you know, remember the Feelies? Well, all right. Uh, remember Soma? Okay, Soma's everywhere now. Uh, and then you know, he wrote his even earlier than. Uh, than Orwell. He wrote his. When, when, did, when did Huxley write uh, Brave New World? Raise your hand, Cross. Anyone know? 1827? 1903? 1920 something? You are wrong. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to. This, is, this gets dumb. I mean, I don't want to get involved in dumbness here. I, I'm merely saying that, that uh, 1917, no. 1948, no. Huh? 1939? No, we're going around and around here. You're just guessing, all of you are. You don't know. If you knew, you'd just simply tell me. You don't keep making different uh, estimates. I'll, it doesn't matter. You know, dates are ridiculous. And what I was about to say here was that the, 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 the slogan has come to be really very important in our time. Not in the way that Huxley, or rather that Orwell saw it. He, he saw it as governmental slogans. No, it's the personal slogan that has become very important in our time. And uh, yes, the personal slogan. So you'll see you have people with, the, with the, you know, the slogan to say, uh, hate grapes. On, uh, or uh, don't eat lettuce, or uh, hooray for me, or I'm great, or I read New York. Well, incidentally, one of the personal slogans that is very big these days is to proclaim your particular uh, choice of commercial products. Oh, yes. Uh, so if you're a New York reader, you wear a New York sweat sweatshirt or T-shirt. If you're a uh, you know reader of the uh, New York Racing Forum, you read one that says, uh, "I'm a morning line better." Of course, uh, naturally, to wear that one, you'd have to go around without any shoes. But uh, <laughs> I do a lot of hitchhiking. However, uh, the people uh, people they proclaim their personal choices of products, uh, and and also music, very important too. Uh, the music thing, see, uh, is to proclaim what it is you like. Because it is through what you like in our time that you are judged, not by what you are, but what you like. So, uh, you know, if you ever admitted that you liked, uh, let's say, uh, for example, Patty Page, oh, heaven forbid, you're out of the ballgame completely. You may be able to walk on water. I mean, <laughs> who cares about that? So it's what, you ch it's what you choose to like in our personal uh, panoply of showbiz personalities that makes you what you are. It's very important. So uh, this uh, posterity is the way it was in our time. Uh, 
If, uh, say, for example, you are a Rolling Stone fan, you better wear a T-shirt that proclaims that. Staying home at night and listening does not count. Wearing the T-shirt does. That's where it counts. Uh, if you smoke pot, you must wear a T-shirt that has a picture of pot on it. It's very important. You don't just stay home and smoke pot. That's not important. Now, of course, this is liable to go into the whole range of human activity. For example, if you eat jello, you'll have to have a you know, thing that uh, eventually says, I love grape jello. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I can't stand oranges. Or, uh, boy, do I hate fish. Uh, you know, because eventually they're going to have to start the negative. You see, there's too many positive T-shirts around, and the negative T-shirt has to make its appearance. I cannot stand turnips. I happen to dig them, but uh, if you don't like turnips, you'd like a T-shirt that says, boy, they ought to do you-know-what with turnips. You know, have a big rotten-looking turnip with an evil face on it. And people would know that you're a person of taste and, and uh, honesty. You proclaim your hates and dislikes. Now, uh, I saw a, a, a bumper sticker. Now, the bumper sticker, of course, is another one. I, there was a guy the other day. It was kind of sad. I tell you, I don't, I don't like to bring this up, but, you know, people proclaim these things, and they believe that just by proclaiming it, it's actually true. You see, the proclamation they have made. Uh, and I saw this terrible scene. Unfortunately, sometimes it turns out really to be true. I saw this uh, guy in this uh, 63 Dodge convertible. I guess it was a guy. Hit the back of a semi-tractor trailer <laughs> up in Massachusetts. And I'll tell you, that car looked like uh, coleslaw made out of metal. It was really sad. But the bumper sticker said, I'm on my way to the promised land. Says, have you tried Jesus lately? He had his bumper stickers right on the back, and I, you know, there he was. He was on his way to the promised land. <laughs> I mean, you know, damn bumper sticker made it come true. So uh, I, I, uh, I don't know about these things. You see, I, I saw another one there. If, in case you're curious, with the George, or George Orwell based a lot of his concepts on the idea that people would eventually proclaim one thing, which is 180 degrees out of phase with what they really mean. You see what it really ultimately is. In other words, the debauchery of the language, right? So if you could if you could uh, work out a formula, which many people have in certain groups, that the more you hate, the more you're showing love. See, love is hate. Hate is love, and so forth. Well, I saw a beautiful one like that the other day. It says happiness, and had the red, white, and blue flags all over it. Happiness is an F-16. Well, yes. In fact, I have that. Uh, I have that bumper sticker on my desk. If you want to look at it, you know what an F-16 is? Well, it's a fighter bomber. You don't know what an F-16. Well, I guess a lot of people don't know what a lot of the bumper stickers mean. You see, that's that's another thing too. I think that many people are living in a world that they barely comprehend. And so, if you see a bumper sticker that says "I love F-16s," you don't know what the hell that means. He figures that's, you know, some kind of a rock group that's got a new type of name. You know, the L-28s or the 6SJ-7s. You know, available on Mercury, but uh, <laughs> here, here's the here's the F-16. Happiness is an F-16. Well, now an F-16 is a fighter bomber. Now, if uh, it depends on what side of the F-16 you're on. If you're flying it, that's probably groovy. But if the F-16 is doing what it's designed to do, well, that's another scene entirely. Now, that's pure Orwellian happiness. Is a thirty caliber carbine. 
<laughs> oh, you understand that, don't you? See, isn't it interesting how if you explain it another way, then they say, oh, I see. They don't get it the first way. That can get you into a lot of trouble. See, semantics is very important in our time. And if you're sitting in a sales meeting and you suddenly find yourself with an uncontrollable urge to laugh and uh, kick your shoes off and roll around on the floor uh, and nobody else seems to get it, you know, the boss gets up and says, I'll tell you what our business is about. It's about the bottom line. And you find that incredibly funny. You're liable to find yourself out on your bottom line. So you, you, uh, George Age was right. Uh, you know, George Age's famous uh, slogan was right. If you wish to get ahead in this world, keep a straight face, if possible. <laughs> Don't laugh at a bumper sticker that says, Happiness is an F-16. You just don't laugh at that. You observe it, but don't laugh at it. It's like the guy I saw the other day on Route 22. It says, I drink milk. That's a guy with guts. He proclaimed it loudly. I drink milk. Now, he was being saying, You're looking at me confused. You don't see the humor of that, you see. <laughs> Mankind has drunk milk since the second caveman. But to suddenly put it on a bumper sticker and proclaim your individuality by drinking milk is roughly like putting on a bumper sticker that says, I breathe air. Or I sleep. <laughs> or uh, I walk around. Or uh, I've got two ears. I mean, drinking milk is one of the natural functions. In fact, that's called the mammary gland complex. We all started out drinking milk, but it's up to our time. I mean, even if, even if we didn't do it, if you had a mother that did not tolerate that, you were nevertheless highly equipped to do it, and so was she. <laughs> so the point being here that to proclaim the fact that you're a milk drinker is like a lion getting a bumper sticker on the, you know, he's taxing out of his back end. It says, I eat meat. Indeed. Hey, uh, you know, uh, I've, uh, I thought I ought to do this, though, since, uh, you know, it's getting late in the year. And uh, I, I thought, yeah, it is getting late in the year. Pretty soon the bicentennial year is over. And just think, thousands of businesses will go out of business. I mean, uh, and uh, all that stuff that they were turning out will be will be consigned to the great ash heap of history. In fact, already it's beginning to show. I saw this uh, this uh, Radio Shack place. There was a Radio Shack, and they were running a special on uh, bicentennial transistorized AM rock radios, available only for a short time. It said, "How oh, damn right, short time." <laughs> It'll all be over in about <laughs> a few months. But, you know, it was a great a great little item. It, uh, it was a red, white, and blue plastic box is what it was. And on top of it was was this uh, little uh, plastic statue of these three guys, you know, one of them playing the piccolo, the other guy carrying the flag, you know, with the one with the bandage around the head. And that kind of goes real great, you know, with the rock stuff coming out there. And you can get this whole thing, see, right in a nice package. But the important thing about it is it's now available as a special. That means that uh, 1977 cannot be far behind. And, of course, 1977 is uh, going to be just another year. And, you know, we're back to normal. 
I wonder, well, by the way, listen, I to, you, you talk about bicentennial stuff. I was talking to a manufacturer. I did a television show for public TV here a few months back. No, you haven't seen it yet. It hasn't gone on yet. Uh, it's a, it was a full 90-minute uh, show, which is a special on bicentennial junk. You know, all the stuff that uh, that they turned out for this. And among other things that happened, I, I talked to this manufacturer. See, he turned out the bicentennial placemats. He turned out bicentennial instant coffee cups. And, uh, yeah, you know, to make instant coffee. <laughs> how, how symbolic of our time. And uh, uh, as a part of our... Uh, as part of our great public service programming here, though, we've already decided to have some real public service here. I mean, real public service, as opposed to, you know, Girl Scout cookie announcements, that kind of stuff. That's, you know, public service. Announcements to join the Marines and stuff like that. Real public service. And it just hit me. I'll tell you, I was visiting this guy, see. And uh, he got this house. I mean, in capital letters, you know, with the French provincial furniture. Boy, oh boy, those French provincials. Turned out some of the most uncomfortable furniture since the second caveman sat on a rock with a point on it. I mean, <laughs> so he had all this stuff. So he had these nice little rugs all over the place. And he was always, and now well, you know, he's the top. I'll, for the argument's sake, I'll call him Frank. He uh, He's always into things. He's always into things. And his wife is even worse. So we're sitting around, you know, I don't like to get into these, uh, these bad things there like that. And we're talking about the just life in general. And I notice behind him is this uh, bookcase. He does not have a bookcase that has books. See, it, it, one, if you're into bookcases, you put things on your bookcase. You do not put books on your bookcase. You put things on your bookcase, like uh, model cars, uh, you know, little things like that, or uh, your collection of little glass duckies, uh, various things of that nature. See, books tend to gather dust, and uh, they can be troublesome, you know. You could be caught with last year's classic. And uh, I kept looking at all the various objets d'art which he had gathered. Uh, you know, his uh, high school uh, two twenty-yard hurdles medal, which uh, he kept there in a glass case with a light on it, and um, you know, various things like that. His good conduct medal, which showed that he was able to get out of the Navy without actually getting arrested. And uh, yeah, various stuff there. And so I said, hey, uh, Frank, what's that thing over there next to that uh, set of uh, bronze baby shoes? And I said, oh, that, that. Uh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that. Oh, wow. I said, what's the trouble, Frank? Oh, that's stupid. He said, I don't want to talk about it. I said, what do you mean well, you don't want to talk about Larry? You, you, what do you got over there? Tell me what it is. Uh, if you're ashamed, of, why don't you put it in the basement? He said, I can't put it in the basement. I got that as a gift. For my wife. I said, oh, you can't put it in the basement, I understand. But I was kind of stupid there. What, what the hell? He said, yeah, yeah, I know. Said, but if I threw it out, how can you throw out something that costs six dollars? It cost $6, and it's as good as the day we bought it. It hasn't even been used. You can't throw it out. How many of you are troubled, by the way, of being covered up in your life with things that are still good and you can't throw them out? That's right. Well, nah, some just throw them out. And that's why there's a great crowd of people hanging around dumps these days. But uh, <laughs> that's true, you know. Nevertheless, <laughs> no. But, uh, why don't you take the next step and not get them in the first place? 
That's the hardest one to take. So uh, I'm sitting there looking at that thing, and I finally said to him, look, uh, come on, tell me what's the story. He said, okay, I'll tell you. He said, this thing has been bugging me for six months. Six months. Don't know what to do with the damn thing. I said, well, what is it, first of all? He says, it's my pet rock. That stupid damn rock. It's the 28 million rocks out here in my own driveway that are better than that rock. Marsha had to go out and spend six bucks for a pet rock. And now the fad is over, but the damn rock remains. So what am I going to do? Just throw it out in the driveway with all the rest of the rocks? Cost six dollars. And then it hit me. A true public service. We are living in the days of actual, the non-functional fad. Now, what is the non-functional fad? It's the fad that is existential in nature. Has no other function than to exist by itself. Now, no fad is any good unless it costs something. If somebody suddenly created a fad of standing on one foot, not many people would do. You don't think Jackie would do that, do you? But if you had a fad somehow where you had to pay $30 an hour to stand on one foot, Jackie would be the first to do it. So it's what you pay that counts, not what you do. And so I looked over at Frank's Rock and I said, Frank, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take it off your hands. Give me the damn rock. I said, don't look, Marcia, see you take it. I said, does she love it? He says, no, she can't stand it either. But she bought it. I said, give it to me. Stick it in my jacket pocket here when I walk out. I'll pretend I didn't see it. So he dropped the rock in my pocket. I got out under the clear, brisk blue air of God's green earth, reached into my pocket, grabbed the rock, and threw that little varmint as far as I could throw it. It didn't even make a sound. It's just a rock. Just a rock. And how significant of our time that people would go out and buy a rock. And you know how many million rocks they sold? Anywhere from three and a half to six bucks a clip. Unbelievable, buddy. Only in our time. Only in our age of total uh, nitwittedness and, by the way, total media. Well, I've decided on a true public service. Now, it's not easy to take a rock that you got as a gift from your Aunt Minnie or your kid or your wife and just throw it out. But you can contribute it to a good cause. So I stand ready to put all our facilities at your service. We will now take over. You can send your pet rock to me. Yes, I stand here. I, I will take care of it. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I've decided that, that all of you who have a pet rock, that you, you, you know, it's stupid to have a pet rock after, after the initial laugh, but it remains a damn rock. You know, it's one of those things that just doesn't go away. I mean, it ain't going to, you know, you can always uh, break your yo-yo, you know, <laughs> it goes, but a rock, it's so obvious, it's a rock.
then it will remain a rock. That rock is going to be there 12 million years after you're gone, after our society, after our civilization is gone. So, we are going to take a giant step for mankind tonight, a true public service. Any of you who have a dumb, stupid rock that some fathead bought for you, send it to Stupid Fad. Or, if you prefer, stupid, dumb, idiotic fad. Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. We're not... Joe, if you're troubled by what's going to happen to your poor little rock, your rock will be given a fitting, and I might say a dignified end. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take all those rocks, and I am going to back the construction. I'm going to back the... the the erection of a tremendous monument made out of those rocks dedicated to the essence of 20th century slobism. Now, you know, we have all these monuments dedicated to democracy, to freedom, to truth. Why not have a great, big, fantastic, dumb-looking edifice made out of pet rocks with a plaque on the bottom? This dumb-looking, silly, idiotic edifice is dedicated to the memory of all the slobs of the 20th century. And you can quote, you know, have a little quote at the bottom. Uh, there has to be a place in modern life for true, honest slobism, George Bernard Shaw. Now, wouldn't that be a fitting end? And what better state to put it in than Jersey? For obvious reasons. Certainly. And we could put it right next to the Garden State Parkway. <laughs> or possibly, let's say, next to Route 1 at the Secaucus Interchange. How about, uh, how about putting it at Route 46 right next to two guys? There's right. That's the Citadel. That's the heartland, the, the Vatican of Slobism. Wreck this tremendous thing there. And... Uh, <laughs> So if you have a pet rock, we are going to start this campaign. If you have a pet rock, wherever you may live, just put that pet rock in a, in a wrap it up in a, let's say the uh, editorial page of the Bergen Record. Wrap it up and, and uh, send it to stupid, silly fad. And your name will be inscribed on a vast parchment roll that you contributed to. And that, by the way, that'll be a lasting monument, let's face it. You put 7,000 pet rocks on a pile, all, uh, all put together with the, with the better grade of cement. You've got a monument that's going to last for a long time. And I know a guy that turns out cut-rate plaques. And uh, yeah, he also sells uh, bowling trophies. So uh, how about that? So, yeah, by the way, did you know that, that, that there's, a, uh, there's a guy here uh, just across there, there's this, this trophy place, you know, where they make trophies and they make plaques and medals. And he says, do you know that there's a fantastic number of people who give themselves medals and trophies and have them engraved? Not funny ones. Oh, no, no. Go and buy it. $400 uh, loving cup. It says, uh, uh, to the uh, junior champion um, <laughs> golf tournament, 1948, Columbus, Ohio. Charlie W. Gutstop. Aggregate total 269 for three holes, averaging 68.7. Uh, second place, Jack Nicholas. That's a nice cup to have. 
and this guy knows very well. He says, "There's no, there's no law against against it." He says, "You can make yourself up a cup anytime you want. <laughs> sure, you can make yourself a cup that says uh, member of the Oakland A's World Series Championship Winning Ball Club, 1974.' Now, there's no law against that, and you can have your name under it, Charlie Applerod, left fielder. Now, whether or not that." Uh, you know, if anybody bothers to check up on that, uh, you know, there's, some, there's always a sore head to do something like that. But pick an obscure tournament. You know, winner of the mixed doubles, Charlotte, North Carolina, 1963. I mean, you know, who's going to, you know, how are they going to find out anyway? But you'll have that thing. You put it up there. It's over your thing there. So, oh, yeah, yeah, I used to play a little in my time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Had a few pro offers, but I uh, figure what the hell. Law school, in the long run, was what I wanted. But I get out the old racket once in a while. People say, gee, you want a cup, Charlie? We're going to mix doubles. Leading, outstanding player, Charlotte, West Virginia, 19... Oh, yeah, hell, that's all in the past. Be modest. You see, the more modest you are, the more authentic your cup sounds. And try to hide it from me. Oh, don't, don't mess with that silly cup. <laughs> Oh, no, no, it's got stupid inscription on there. I was lucky. But uh, actually, get that rock in the mail, friends. We're serious. I know it's been troubling a lot of you, these dumb fads that our world is subject to. So send your, send your rock to Dumb Fad. And next week at the same time, we'll tell you how many rocks we received in the mail. And... Uh, how the uh, how the campaign is going to create this great monument over there in Jersey? Now, what? How do you see the shape of this thing? This monument? You see it? Uh... Well, I don't know. Uh, you could put. Uh, you can have an enormous square with a concrete derby on the top of it, with a rubber cigar sticking out of its trap. <laughs> oh well. So, uh, public service marches on. And don't forget, Girl Scout cookies, that time is coming around. You've been listening to Gene Shepard, author, raconteur, and commentator on the contemporary scene.